But I can tell you, as a former gallerist, if I were an artist starting today, I would probably just start from day one and make a go of it without galleries at all. I would just go, I would sell everything direct. Welcome to the Bold Brush Podcast, where we believe that fortune favors the bold brush. My name is Laura Oringo Bayer, and I'm your host. This week, I sat down with our CEO, Clint Watson, to discuss more marketing tips for artists coming from someone who has been a gallery owner in the past and what he recommends artists should do today so that they can sell more work. Before hearing some of his tips, we wanted to know a little bit more about his background before working with Faso. Before Faso, I was in the gallery business. I started working with the guys that owned the gallery here in San Antonio in 1989. We became a very well-known gallery in the early to mid-90s. At that time, the primary way of promoting yourself as a gallery was magazine advertising. And I was in that business until 2005. And starting in 1990, in the mid-90s, I became one of the owners of the gallery. I became one of the partners. Why did you get into the gallery business? I've always been interested in art. As a kid, I was always drawing and painting and thought I wanted to grow up to be an artist. In fact, that was my plan. And I probably would have done that, except that one day I discovered computers. <laughs> and turns out I'm more of a programming geek than I am an artist. So when I was in college, I answered an ad in the newspaper to go work at this gallery because I thought it'd be fun to work at a gallery while I put myself through college. And when I left, they basically made me an offer to stay. And that's what led to me eventually becoming a partner. What were you doing at the gallery that made you so successful there? Well, I think there were a lot of, there was similar to now, there was a lot of change happening at that time. And especially with the internet really taking off starting in the mid nineties and mid to late nineties, I think honestly, they didn't want to lose their computer geek, (laughs) but also I was, I had already worked my way up being the director of the gallery and had proven myself at being able to make sales. And so I think those two factors, they saw that I had a good eye for art, that I was good at at making art sales and helping people find pieces that they wanted to live with. And then also this entirely new sales channel was coming online, which tended to be, which tended to be where I made sales. We had several sales people in the gallery, but I tended to be the guy pioneering the website and the email and making sales more so than to local collectors. And I think they were beginning to understand for the first time that you're not constrained by the neighborhood your gallery um, happens to be in. And so that was, I think that was one of the major contributors as to why they were open to me becoming a partner. What was the price range at the gallery and what was the highest price you've sold a painting for? The range that our gallery sold in was for for really small pieces, you know, high hundreds, you know, like seven, eight hundred dollars to up to. I think at the time I was there, probably the most expensive pieces would be at seventy, eighty thousand dollar range. I think probably the most expensive one I can recall was in the like approaching a hundred thousand, um, and probably the average would be like five thousand dollar range you know sort of the average selling price um, for a medium size piece you know um, so when i say small i'm thinking like eight by ten i say medium size piece i'm thinking like 20 by 24s to 30 by 40 kind of size range in inches um, and so you're guessing what is what is the most expensive piece i recall selling like personally 
I, I believe the most one I sold was probably in the forty to fifty thousand dollar range. And keep in mind, this is in the nighttime in the twenty twenty twos. So a forty thousand dollar piece is probably a sixty seventy thousand dollar piece today when you account for inflation, right? And I think as far as the gallery overall, I think the most expensive piece I recall selling, like not me personally, but the gallery was I believe ninety five thousand. What do you look for when noticing a prospective buyer? So one of the big things in sales is learning how to qualify people. In fact, you know, in a way, it's it's 80, 80 to 90 percent of it is that you don't want to waste a lot of your time with people who aren't buying. And that's not to be rude, right? It's not that they're not interesting people, but it's that you're there to do a job and you only have so much time and attention. You can be polite to the people who aren't going to buy, but a trap people fall into is spending their time talking to people who are fun to talk with, but those people aren't all the same people. That, right? So you have to learn to be able to attract yourself in the situation when, when you can figure out this person to purchase. Having said that, there really is no way, rarely is there that you can tell looking. And this is another mistake those people make. I saw it in the gallery business all the time. Someone walks in and they and they're wearing shorts and their hair is long. I am right now, and people would say, "Oh, that guy's not dressed nice or wearing a Rolex. He's not qualified." Well, that's that's total bullshit. <laughs> Someone could walk in looking homeless and turn around and be the, the most expensive sell you ever made. So you you can't do it based on looks, but there are certain things you can look for. So one of the things that we did that. I, I credit my former partners with this, which was pretty smart, was there's always there's always the question of do you display prices or not, right? I'm always a big advocate that you do display prices, especially on your website. But the, the, the thinking of not having prices and the reason some people don't want to have prices on their website or don't want to have prices displayed next to the piece is I guess they think, you know, someone's going to ask the price if they're serious, and then I get a chance to engage with them and qualify them. Well, I've always felt like that's somewhat counterintuitive because you're going to get a lot of people asking the price that now you have to spend time with. And it creates an awkward situation if they're interested, but it's way out of their price range, right? And it also creates an awkward situation where people ask and they're not really qualified. But you know what I mean? I feel like it, that not having the price can create an awkward situation. So what my partners did, which I thought was a good compromise, was we had the price on all the paintings, but they were kind of on a little tag that kind of stuck out like from the edge of the painting. They, they Basically, they hung down behind the painting, but you could see the edge of it. And people would walk up and like pull it out and see the price. So on that tag, we had the title, the size, the medium, and the price, and if it was sold or not. And so... That was the huge signal, right? If someone was came in the gallery and they were looking at different paintings, and you could usually tell if they were interested in arts. So I'm sorry, let me back up a little more. So the first signal was, are they really interested or not, right? Some people would come in and just kind of breeze through, and you could tell art was not something that was that much of interest to them. Other people would come in and they would look and stop in front of paintings and obviously become enthralled. Right. So that gives you one clue that this person is interested in art. And not only that, they're interested in that painting that they've been staring at for the last five minutes. But then if they reached up and grabbed that little tag 
and started looking at the prices of these different paintings that they liked, you knew right away. You started to know this guy is checking out prices. Not only is he interested, he's also going to specific pieces and seeing how much they are. And at that point, one of us would usually approach him. And, what do gallery owners do day in and day out to build their business? All right, there's different kinds of galleries. Some galleries are in high tourist, high traffic locations. And traditionally, that's been where galleries are. What those guys do is very different than what our gallery did. What those guys do is they try to sell people right then and there because those are tourists. And as soon as they walk out that door, you're probably never going to hear from them again, right? And so you kind of get into high pressure tactics. Let's get these people in a closing room, you know, the sort of the used car method of selling art. You know, here's the deal I can make you today. That's not what we did. What we did was much more akin to what an artist needs to do to sell online today which is what I did day in and day out as people came in the gallery or called us on the phone from ads or came to shows or contacted us through our website. I had huge lists of and detailed notes each person of what artists they contacted us about, what artists they've told me they've collected. Um, that was one of the first things I would ask people when we got in the first phone conversation. They would call from an ad and they would ask about the piece, ask how much it is. Once we started talking, I would say, well, what other artists do you collect or have you collected? Because that gives you a lot of clue into what types of art they like, and which pieces they might be interested in. So I had detailed notes on each one of these people. And as new pieces came in, I would go through what, what we have and basically match it up against these lists. Okay, we just got three new pieces by Kevin McPherson. Who do I know that plain air landscapes? Who do I know that has expressed an interest in Kevin McPherson in the past. Who's on my list has been waiting for the right Kevin McPherson to come along, right? And so each day as I would go through these lists, make a list of who was most likely, pick up the phone and call them. Or if they were to be contacted by email, maybe I email them. And so I'd say a good 50% of the day was picking up the phone and calling people, leaving messages, having conversations, and of course, each conversation led to more information, right? Even if they didn't buy that piece, I learned more about what they had been collecting and their state of mind. And if they were, if they were still in the market for a piece, if they were, you know, if anything had changed, there's one particular, I can remember one particular guy that I followed up with every couple months for three years until he finally started buying. And then he went on to be a regular collector. What is a regular collector and what is their price point? Oh, it was all over the place. You know, some people were, and I'm using the term collector, anybody who buys art. This is an interesting thing I've learned. There's people that buy art and buy art regularly, but they don't consider themselves art collectors. <laughs> so in my mind, anyone who buys art is a collector. Once, they, once you purchase your first piece of, let's say, original art, you're an art collector. But there's people that occasionally would buy art. They say, oh, but I'm not a real collector. So I'm using the term to mean anybody, but it was all over the place. Some people didn't have a lot of money and they would buy, they'd buy a thousand dollar painting once or twice a year, maybe. And other people, other people would buy $60,000 worth of art at one time, several times a year. Right? They're at different stages, you know, like there'd be people that wouldn't buy a lot. And then suddenly they'd buy a new home. And now you're talking to them every month and they're buying multiple pieces. So you, 
you sort of have to be there all the time with people so that you're there when the timing is right. This podcast is brought to you by Vaso. If you're listening to this, it's safe to say that you're probably an artist and you've probably struggled, like most of us have, to sell your work online using some random website building platform that isn't even made for artists. If this sounds like you, then check out Vaso.com forward slash podcast. Faso is an art marketing platform specifically designed for artists to help showcase your work. And not only that, it'll also help you sell your work thanks to their really easy built-in e-commerce and marketing channels that help promote your work to over 48,000 collectors. On top of that, you'll also get access to marketing tips and help with your social media from top people in the industry. So if this sounds like a really great thing and you want to take your artwork to the next level and sell as much as you can, then Go check out thaso.com forward slash podcast. Bold Brush would also like to give a huge thank you and shout out to Chelsea Classical Studio for their continued support in this podcast. If you're interested in archival painting supplies handmade with a lot of patience, go check out their Instagram at CCS Fine Art Materials. Should an artist not sell their work directly at gallery prices? If you sold it in a gallery for 3000 the gallery gets 1500 and you get 1500 but you could sell it for 1500 or I guess conceivably less direct and sell more art and come out ahead in the long run. So if I'm asked as me today, if I'm, if I was being asked this as a gallerist, I would say that's not a good idea because you're going to burn your bridges with your gallery. And when I was a gallerist, I was, I was of the mindset that it, everything should sell for the same price everywhere. And I think if you want to be represented by galleries as an artist, you're going to have to be mindful of that. I mean, it's not going to go over well with a gallery if you expect them to sell it for 3000 and then they see it on your website for $1,000, right? But this also gets to the point of what I've been trying to get across with the sovereign artist. Less and less artists need gallery. In other words, that's kind of a huge overhead that went to the galleries, which is kind of a true a dying or if not dying, a shrinking industry. So we live in a world where artists can sell direct. So why not sell it? Why not, why not make it more affordable and easier for people to access your art? I mean, let's face it. Even if you sold it for 2000, the collector's coming out a thousand ahead, which expands the number of people you can sell to. And you still make more money as the artist. So I, I guess that question, whether I think that's a good idea or not, depends on if you're really ready to burn your bridges with your galleries or not. <laughs> but I can tell you, as a former gallerist, if I were an artist starting today, I would probably just start from day one and make a go of it without galleries at all. I would just go, I would sell everything direct. What are some tips for selling your work? As far as tips for selling your art... Obviously, I don't sit in artist studios all day and watch what they're doing. So a lot of them might be doing the things that I don't see that I don't think they're doing. But I feel like often people are going about it backwards, <laughs> if that makes sense. Somewhere we have a post about the circles of art marketing, which in the Sovereign Artist Club, I'm going to be expanding upon. But kind of like staying in touch with your collectors all the time. So you're there when they're ready. Collectors are also on a journey from not knowing who you are to being a good collector. The channels you use to sell to them, or at least put your work in front of them, sort of change depending on where they are in the journey. And I feel like artists spend a lot of time worrying about the more public and crowded channels. And I feel like artists sort of don't have it weighted right off in terms of where they spend their time. 
So what I was explaining about being a gallerist, and obviously this predates social media, but where I spent the vast majority of my time was going through my past collector list, figuring out who was the most likely prospect for the art I had today, and then calling those people or contacting them somehow personally. Let's say 80% of my time was spent doing that. Of that 80%, how much of that time led to a sale conversion? I don't know the percentage of time of the time spent reaching out to people led to sales, but it's definitely it was definitely the activity that by far led to the most sales. In other words, the activity of figuring out who was on my list, who was most who was a good collector or likely to become a collector, and then calling those people, getting images of the art in front of them and having a conversation about that was the number one activity that led to sales, especially for sales to people that were not local and physically there in the gallery. The rest of the time would have been talking to people in the gallery, qualifying people, you know, talking to people who called from advertising. So that activity would probably be more similar to what people would use social media for today, right? And so when I say I feel like a lot of artists are misallocating it, I feel like they're spending a lot of their time, their marketing time on the public social media piece and not nearly enough of it on the contacting people, contacting people personally and nurturing them directly. And so you have to like spend the appropriate amount of time in the appropriate place. It's not that social media isn't important. It is. It's one of the things that is enabling bypassing galleries is the fact you can go reach almost any world on social media. But that's not, I think artists think that I'm going to set up a website and I'm going to post this on social media and I'm going to sell. And this, I've seen this before, even predating Someone sets up a site on Squarespace and then they cancel and because they didn't sell anything. And then they set up a site and then they start posting on Etsy and then they cancel because they don't sell anything. And then they set up a site with us and then they cancel because they don't sell anything. And it's sort of like this, I call it this platform hopping, looking for the golden platform that's going to sell your art. But there is no platform that's going to sell your art because the platform that's going to sell your art is you. And if you do these things we're talking about as the artist, in a way, it doesn't really matter which platform you're showing the art on because you're the magic piece that sells it. How could you introduce new work to a previous collector? One of the things I do often before, so sometimes depending on the situation, if I knew someone was really hot for a particular artist or they'd been waiting or whatever, you know, or maybe I knew that really, really well, if a new piece came in, Sometimes I would call them immediately and say, hey, I got this new painting. I think you're going to be interested in this one. You know, here's the price range, you know, and is this some, you know, am I off base? Is this something you'd be interested in? If it seemed like they were, and usually if you have a good relationship, they would say, hey, I trust you. If you think I'm interested, yeah, I'm interested. So at that point, I would put the piece on hold and then overnight them a photograph. And then later in my galleries, once the internet is more common, I just email them a photo, right? Um, if I wasn't as sure, then I would do it backwards. Like I would take a photo of the piece, mail them the photo, and then follow up. You know, and and usually put a note in there, like I, you know, I, these pieces came in. I thought of you because you've told, you know, you told me you liked, you told me you liked Scott Christensen and, um, you know, and and other types of plain air painters. And you know, this guy's from California, does a lot of similar work. I thought of your collection. And then it makes it easier to follow up that sort of crime with what I was going to be calling about. 
So it kind of just depends. But I, I will say, I think this process would actually be easier for the artist than me, a total stranger. You know, in, in other words, people got some of these people became my good friends, and I was very close with them. And it got to the point where I, you know, with some of them, where I could call them and say, "This is the one," and they'd say, "Fine, here's my credit card." Um, like that's that that's going to be even easier with the artists because people love to connect directly with an artist. I mean, if, if a gallerist can make a connection with someone, it seems like the artist to me, it seems like the artist can have an even deeper connection, especially when it's someone who's really connected with that particular artist's work. This is what's crazy to me, how many collectors collect the same artist over and over. I mean, I can think of a guy that I sold like 30 Kevin McPherson paintings. To. I mean, even I was thinking, are you going to put the other artists? <laughs> you know, but... And he did. He collected all kinds. He loves plain air landscape, California type painting. But I mean, he just loved Kevin McPherson. That wasn't that uncommon. I mean, 30 was a little bit on the high side, but it wasn't uncommon to make multiple sales of the same artist to the same person. But that's after you've built a trust with them. I did have people that I built such a trust with that they would call me to get my opinion of paintings they were buying from other galleries. <laughs> And I know artists have done the same thing. I, I've talked to artists that have had collectors that will call them and get their opinion of other artists' works. So it is possible for it to do this directly. So what should artists do with a new painting? I think this speaks to what I was talking about before, about people doing things backwards. Um, I think probably, first and I'm guessing, but I think most people's first inclination is to post it on Instagram or to post it on social media first. And I get it finish a piece you're excited and that's super easy to do right i mean it's now with phones i mean as soon as you take the photo you could do it but i i don't think that's the best way to go about it i think the best way to go about it is to take a photograph of, of the painting figure out which of your past collectors or prospective collectors that you're close with is most likely to be interested text them a photo or email them a photo and say, Hey, I just finished this. I think this is one you would be interested in. Are you interested in first dibs on it? I absolutely think that's the first thing to do because you want to make those people feel special. That's the whole reason they want. I mean, that's not the whole reason, but it's a, a big reason why people want to connect with artists. And that's essentially what I was doing as a palace. I had these lists for different artists of people that were interested in their work. And I had basically previously told them, you know, yeah, the one you called about is sold, but when another one comes in, I'll, you'll be the first person I call. And that's what, I, that's what I was doing. I mean, that was, in a way, that was a big part of the value that I was trying to bring to these people was to, to sort of get them inside access, right, to different artists and different pieces. Um, so I think, again, I, if you refer to the circles of art marketing idea, basically my circles of art marketing idea is that there's three marketing circles and then your art's in the middle. The outside circle is the public awareness circle. The middle circle is people who have joined your audience, but may or may not have bought anything yet. And the inner circle is the people who are the people that for whatever reason are really close to you and most likely. So I feel like artists sort of, when they have a piece to market, start with the outside one, which is posting it on Instagram, and then email it to their newsletter list, their existing audience. And I don't know how many go to the inner circle idea, but that would probably come last. And I feel like you should work your way from the inside out. When you have a new piece, contact the people most likely to buy directly. Give them tips. If they pass, then send it to your audience, which would be 
your email list, people you can contact directly through not necessarily a one-on-one channel, but it's a direct channel and then give them second dibs, I guess. And then if they pass, then post it on social media to draw in new people. The great thing about social media, it's easy and you can reach a lot of people. The bad thing is you're competing with everybody else in the world, right? So it's very hard to go from, I just posted this to I told it in one step. Draw them into your audience. And then from your audience, draw them into your inner circle. And then, but the inner circle is where the magic happens. And something else I should probably say about that is even within that lit, that inner circle list of clients that I maintained in any given year, 80% of my sales generally came from about 20 people, not 20%, but 20 people. So if you add it up over the year, maybe I made, I don't know, I'm making this number up, but say you made four or 500 phone calls to, you know, to, or probably more phone calls than that. But let's say you contacted 500 people and some bought and some didn't, but 70 to 80% of my total sales came from 20% of the people at the top of that list. And those 20 changed like from year to year, like it wasn't always the same. So my point is, this is why you have, like you have to be consistent. You don't always know who the 20 are and you can, I mean, if, if I sold, you know, $500,000 worth of art in a year, or let's say $300,000 worth of art. And one of those sales was to the guy who bought multiple paintings and was worth $100,000. Like one sale could account for, you know, up to a third of your total sales for the year. What if I didn't make that phone call? <laughs> you know? And, I, and I, I know it sounds like a lot, but it's really not. It's really not a lot to just contact that inner circle list. It's really pretty easy. You know, unless an artist has been around for 50 years and has a thousand people in their inner circle, how long does it take to, to personally email, text or call? My point is, if you know what your different people in your inner circle are interested in, how long does it really take to, to contact them and give them first dibs?